really kind of going for that kind of shock value and people are like, oh my God, what, do, what are you, what's in this glass? That's insane. And I, I love that. I love, you know, people looking at these beers and then tasting them. It's like, oh, I've never had anything like this before. But it's in a format where they can understand, which is, you know, beer, which is pretty cool. So. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Welcome to China in Aurora. But wait first, welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast, where we are going to, in air quotes, take you to China in Aurora, Colorado. Wow. That's confusing. You should explain it then. Oh, yeah. So this week we are talking with Sean from uh, Jade Mountain Brewing and Tea House. Yeah, you heard that right. Jade Mountain Brewing and Tea House, which is something a little different. I mean, from what the different breweries we've been to all over the country and around the world, even some places, um, I don't believe I've ever seen a brewery and tea house combination especially not to the extent that that they do at jade mountain because they they really do blend a lot of asian culture it's very much themed the whole brewery is based on asian culture and not just china but it but it has its foundations in china as you'll hear in the podcast but yeah it's kind of cool how he blends the asian culture and brings it into and introduces it to the american brewery consumer that you you get a very different spin on beer there but you also they have a lot of loose leaf teas and stuff and they do a lot of just very cool cultural events and he's very proud of and does all of his beers extremely well and he may not choose this word choice but a lot of the beers that they focus on seem extremely weird but they work so in weird meaning you'll hear us talking about this but weird meaning he'll use ramen or a beer called orange chicken. So yes, those sound weird. But the flavors that he uses um, to make the beers, no, he doesn't just shove fried you know, orange chicken from a Chinese restaurant no, into the no, beer. No. It's the spices that he used to create the beers. So if you're thinking like, oh, I'm not going there. Oh, do not do that because you will be sorely disappointed in yourself for not experiencing these wonderful beers. Right. I mean, it's it's not like, like you said, he doesn't make an orange chicken beer that like it, it literally tastes like you just took a bite of orange chicken, you know, food and put it in your mouth. It there, like you said, it's got the subtleties of it that work. It's still a beer. It still tastes like a beer, but he does, um, purposefully go way out of his way to use a lot of, um, traditionally Asian ingredients and stuff, which he'll talk about a lot in there. And that's just, I think sometimes that sounds weird, especially to us as Americans, because we aren't used to those flavors and we're not used to those ingredients. It's weird is kind of a mis. It's kind of like when you talk about sour beers, a lot of sour beers aren't really that sour. They're not sour. It's just a, it's a broad term that covers a range and there's a lot of subtleties to that. And the same thing with, with weird ingredients or odd ingredients, just stuff that's different to us. And so, but Sean has such a wonderful palate. He makes it work. Yeah, and I like the word weird, actually, because, you know, it just makes me think of, I mean, why be normal? So, like, that was my mantra in high school. It's like, yeah. why be normal and be weird? And, you know, you know, I saw Michael Fronte, all the freaky people make up the beauty in the world. <laughs> so, dude, make up the freaky beer because, and do it right. And that that's exactly what Sean does at Jade Mountain. But also, I, want, I have a question for you, Kenny. Uh-oh. So you went to China, like, years ago, mm-hmm. and you drank some beer there you know because you know you drink beer wherever you go yeah and you had like a really cool experience though with the beer it was probably just a lot like a lager or something though that you had right oh yeah yeah you remember what beer was i don't remember what beer it was because and i'm pretty sure part of that is because i i'm i want to say that the can that it came in um was written in chinese i don't know the name of the beer there you go but so like in china what but wait, before, sorry, I wanted to back up a little bit. China is a huge country. Oh, yeah. Massive. And I know you were in Beijing. Mm-hmm. And I, 
don't want to just sit here and just say China the whole time, but um, Sean will tell you some of the cities that he's been in, but I will butcher those names. Oh, yeah. So I'm not even, like, saying the names, hence why I'm just very generalizing saying China. So go ahead with your story about the beer in China. So when I was there, it was actually for a work thing having to do with mixed martial arts, but we also took a lot of time to uh, explore around, but I didn't really... I didn't go on a hardcore journey for beer there, but beer outside of, you know, like the traditional macro lagers and stuff, uh, the really light, light beers, there wasn't a lot available anyway. There wasn't a lot around. There weren't a bunch of craft breweries and stuff where I was, and I don't think that's still even a huge thing, although I'm, sure, about that. I'm sure that's changing. But um, so some friends of mine and I, we decided to go hike the great wall of china do a section of it and we went like a couple hours outside of beijing we didn't want to just go to the wall in beijing where everybody goes and gets their picture and calls it good and leaves so we went out and hiked a section that was i don't remember it was a few miles that we went across the wall but while we're hiking across the top of the wall uh we come across this this little chinese lady who had a backpack on and she was selling beer out of her backpack. And we're all kind of looking at each other like, oh, hell yeah, we got to do this. <laughs> it's like we're on the Great Wall of China in the middle of nowhere in China. And we can just buy a beer out from this lady in her backpack. That's pretty damn cool. <laughs> so so we got beer and we're drinking beer on the Great Wall of China. And, and back to your point where you said you weren't going to try to say the names of the different cities that Sean mentioned because you would butcher it a funny part of this story is like this lady that we ran into who was selling beer didn't speak English and none of us spoke Chinese other than the couple of, you know, how to say thank you and hello and stuff like that. But I asked, I tried to say, I said what my name was and so did my friends and stuff. And then we're like, what's your name? You know, and she got what we were asking and she said her name and I had to repeat it probably five times. Did you ever get it right? Oh, God, no. I was not even close. <laughs> I could not. It, it's strange because the, the inflections of the language are very different, extremely different than what we're used to in, in our language. And so, I yeah, I was really kind of almost embarrassed that I couldn't do that. <laughs> but it was like I couldn't even repeat what she said to me, which is... A very strange sensation, a very strange feeling, but, but we tried and we had a great experience and she was awesome. I think we took a picture with her and like, we had a good time. It and was awesome. You had beer in we China did. on the Great Wall. Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing to and say. So now <laughs> we can also say that we have had, air quotes again, beer in China in Aurora, which is a <laughs> suburb outside of Denver. And that's what we mean with that. Like, because Sean brings the flavors of Asia to, to the United States, to yeah. Aurora. Yeah. And now, so that's who we're going to be talking to today. And he talks a lot about, you know, Chinese habits and the way they drink, because it's very different mm -hmm. than the way Americans drink um, and what they expect from their craft beer and how he ended up in China in the first place, because his heritage is actually Hispanic. So again, you know, the conversation is about beer, but it's also about so much more than oh, just yeah. beer. Especially with Sean and, oh, and Dustin Kraft from Mont Europe is also joining the conversation with us. We explained that. So it's a fun conversation and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And you can go to China with us. Well, with that, here's Sean from Jade Mountain Brewing and Tea House. Right. We're here with Sean at Jade Mountain <laughs> Brewing and Tea House in, uh, let's see, we are in Aurora, right? Yes, we We're are in Aurora, Aurora, Colorado, yes. which and is what's outskirts of Denver. Outskirts of Denver, yes. Yeah. So what's really cool about this, though, is we're actually teaming up with Malt Europe Malting Company to highlight some breweries for American Craft Beer Week coming up in May. So we're excited to be here talking to Dustin as well from Malt Europe. So we're but you got to throw Dustin's last name in. Oh, because, Dustin is on. a perfect name. Craft. That's his last name. Yeah. It works out. It is, it is convenient. You didn't change it to that? 
I did. <laughs> I did get asked that at my interview, though. If I had changed my name to be in the industry. Did I do that? Did you do that just to get this job? <laughs> I, I used to get a really hard time when I worked for a macro brewer. Yeah. Uh, my last name was Kraft. My homebrew buddies thought that that was hysterical. Um, so now I've come over to the other side of the industry. And, uh, That's it's a good name, though. Came Wait. over to the right side, the bright side. No. So, Sean, when, can I ask you to start like kind of describing your um, tap room and tea house because it does have a very different kind of feel to it. Sure. So, when I was designing uh, our tap room, I really wanted to go for a little bit non-traditional, um, not your typical industrial brewery like most places are. I really wanted to go for our tea house vibe. Um, you know, pulling. Uh, aspects from different uh, cities in China that I'm familiar with, you know, um, like our bar is kind of modeled after Chengdu, which is a really cool town. Our, uh, the water features we have here are uh, modeled after where we started, Jade Mountain in, in, in Zhejiang, uh, Hangzhou province. And it was uh, very cool there because we had a, a river right in front of the brewery and just hear water all the time. So water is a very prominent feature um, here in, in the tap room as well. And then our, uh, our mural here, our, um, we definitely had our uh, friend from China, he came out here and painted this, and this is his hometown. And it's just, I really love artwork, incorporating art and, and culture into the tap room. So when you walk in, it's almost like uh, you're not in America or Colorado anymore. Nice. So you mentioned, does that feel? yeah, well, you mentioned all these little towns in China. Yeah. Tell us your story. Like, sure. Where did Jade Mountain come sure. from? So um, Jade Mountain started in 2015 in in Hangzhou. So Hangzhou is in southern China, and it's uh, very it's it's like a second tier city. So it's only only like 20 million people there. <laughs> but uh, um, we're actually a little bit north of, of there, about 20 minutes in a city, a little town with a million people, and we were the first brewery to open up there. So we started in uh, China and incorporating a lot of uh, Asian ingredients was kind of natural for me, but it was exciting. I wanted to do a lot of these flavors, but um, they were so familiar for a lot of people in China that they're like, oh, I want something more American. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, well, let's, so I brewed a lot of like West Coast IPAs and like, uh, like weeds and you know, some other weird stuff, but normal stuff I guess they're not familiar with craft beer out there they just have a lot of uh, um, macro lagers yeah. like Tsingtao and stuff and uh, the price of beers are very cheap you know it's like 25 cents a bottle and oh, you know I'm here charging five dollars or six dollars for a beer and it was uh, kind of a cool thing because people see something someone foreign starting a business and charging a lot for their product and they see it as like a, a luxury kind of item thing mm -hmm. I guess and um, so I had like the, the police chief there and the vice mayor and everybody that was like the hangout spot but the way people drink in China you know it's not like we do it here where we can sit on a patio and, and drink a beer at 12 o'clock in the afternoon um, out there they're drinking tea uh, during okay. the day and uh, it doesn't even start getting busy until about 8 o'clock at night oh wow so, yeah <laughs> so um, I would uh, you know, stayed from eight o'clock to like two, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Oh wow! These guys and they, they drink like uh, most people drink in college. You know, they they assume <laughs> that because it's a bar that yeah. it's like a not so good place. They think right. it's like oh, you know, we don't want to be at a bar. It's like well, I try to explain to them this is not really a bar. It's more like a coffee house or coffee place. You know, mm -hmm. where you can just come chill and have a couple beers. And I think it it. it it was nice for them because it was quiet, and but it was not that whole big vibe that they're used to in bars, but uh, definitely a place where you know, met a lot of people and um, <laughs> people from all over. So I met people from like Poland and Czech and, and Russia and all kinds of other places. So and then I had a, and my, all my walls were a chalkboard. So anytime somebody would come from a new country, I'd go and I'd draw their flag on, on the wall. So I had a wall full of flags from all kinds of different countries, and it was pretty cool. And uh, everybody missed home when they're in China. So well, I decided, you know, we have this guy from Czech. So I said, you know, let's brew like a Czech lager. Oh, and cool. I said, well, so we started brewing Czech lagers, and this this, this girl from Poland. And uh, so I brewed. I was like, what kind of Polish beers could I brew? And uh, I started thinking of uh, was it. Uh, 
they call it a gratzer or grojiska is how they yeah. yeah. So yeah. oak smoked wheat. So yeah. I was like, hey, that's weird. Let's 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 brew that. So, <laughs> and it, it went over pretty well out there because the way um, people in China think of beer um, in pairings, like like we think of beer and pizza, right? They think of beer and like Chinese barbecue, and it's okay. like uh, like uh, meat on steaks and stuff, and it's pretty good. Um, so this oak smoked wheat went really well with with the the barbecue they had oh, there. Yeah. So it was just really really popular. So I did that, and uh, you know, it kind of started me on my uh, journey of starting to brew weird and obscure stuff, and uh, started incorporating different uh, flavors and stuff into the beers. But uh, yeah, that's. That's kind of how we started, and uh, okay. So I got to go back just a half step sure. though, and say, how did you end up in China in the first place? Because you're not Chinese. No. You you were born here in Colorado, yeah, right? Yes, so I was born here in Colorado, oh, actually too. in this area. Yeah, right down the street. Yeah, right down the street. So um, I uh, I first went to China in 2008 uh, when I was in college. I uh, studied journalism and uh, had to do a foreign language as a, as a requirement and Chinese just happened to fit into my schedule and uh, that, that summer I took the Chinese classes our teachers were recruiting people to go to teach English in China so okay. I said well let's, it's just for two weeks and, and we'll go out there and check it out and see how it is and it was awesome I loved it I loved being out there and started going out there almost every year for all summer months at a time and uh, and it was pretty pretty cool but um, I got the chance to actually live out there um, got a pretty decent teaching job but I, I went out there thinking that I wanted to start a brewery because um, the beer out there is not that great and it's hard to find something that gives you kind of like that taste of Colorado I suppose um, so and this was all on your own, or yeah. So yeah. Um, my dad went out there to help me. Um, when I started the brewery, I, I called him up. I said, "Hey, I need your help." <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, I'm building. My dad, me and my dad are actually plumbing contractors as well. So mm -hmm. the the construction is kind of a thing we we, we like to do. So building a, a brewery in an old tea house in China was kind of an exciting thing for us. Mm -hmm. And. Um, so we went out there and from start to finish, two months, and we were open serving beer. <laughs> two months, that's a lot quicker than the U.S. usually. Oh <laughs> it should be like two years. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't really have any licensing or anything like that. I just kind of got the spot and built it out and started making beer and selling it, and there it is. And uh, it was more kind of like an ask forgiveness rather than right. a permission thing. So you were supposed to have licensing, but you well, kind I of... Well, I mean, it's, it, there's, no, but there's no craft breweries out there. So they don't know how to like regulate them or do anything with them. So they're just like, I mean, because I was friends with like the police chief and the mayor and everything, they're like, don't worry, as long as you keep serving a beer, we're not going to shut you down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well... <laughs> so, but it, it was really cool to be out there because in that particular town, there's very, very um, few foreigners out there. And most people don't speak English at all, so I was uh, forced to really quickly learn Mandarin. And kind of just immersed in it. Yeah, you're immersed in it, you know, just ordering food. Or the, the, the best way to learn it was, for me, was explaining beers to people. You know, like what an IPA was and how the, how yeah. the flavors were and all that. So okay, so tell us, in Mandarin, what is an IPA? In Mandarin? Yeah. Oh, man. I want to hear it. <laughs> It's been a little while That's since okay. I spoke. <laughs> you know, most of our listeners won't have a clue if you mess something up. Oh, sure. I sure. certainly won't because I know like two words in Mandarin. So, so in Mandarin, um, bitter is ku, and ku is like a, it's maybe a negative connotation for a lot of things. So sometimes it can be associated with you know like tea. So I kind of uh, kind of made some parallels with that, um, but uh, ku and shui guo, which is fruit um, so kind of grapefruits and those kind of fruits so it's kind of like bitter and fruity and malty so I use as xiaomai uh, uh, which is wheat and damai which is barley and uh, you know I, I'll say like the alcohol content jiodu uh, which is the alcohol jiu is alcohol and I says what jiodu hongao so that's what they really want to know is how much, how much alcohol is there yeah. and you have to answer in Mandarin sure what's an IPA? Uh, IPA is the味道, 
呃，这个啤酒是啊、呃，有这就很尬了。<笑> Don't look at me for help. In a little while, so that's all right. We're just trying to get you back on track. Yeah, yeah So yeah, for yeah. your next visit back. Sure. Not not too many people come in here and speak Chinese to me, but a couple. But <laughs> so, so your your customers in China then was it sounds like more alcohol was positive. Yes. And they so, they wanted the more exotic Western beer. Yes. They like my my double IPA was the most uh, popular one that I brewed out there. It was just wow. it was uh, actually kind of modeled after. Um, Um, superpower over here at Conrad. <laughs> so, yeah. um, just they wanted something that was strong and get them messed up. But the problem is, is I think these people they didn't realize that beer can do that to them because they're mostly drinking the hard stuff like the the Baijiu, the fifty five percent alcohol, okay. um, really hardcore stuff. So beer is just. For hydrating after drinking the hard stuff. <laughs> well, they're used to drinking a macro lager or something. Yeah. It's so they'll come in. A lot of times, it's five percent. Like two guys will come in and it's like, I want six of their biggest, strongest beers, oh, and they'll order them all at once. You know, it's two guys. I'm like, okay, so I got these big, you know, twenty ounce pours of, of double IPA percent, whatever, and they'll just slam them. And I'm like, well, why am I all messed up? And it's like, dude, that's a strong beer, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like. The hard alcohol comes in a smaller, you know, you're drinking a smaller package of it versus, right, you know, sixteen ounces or whatever、sure. of so something bigger. Here in the U.S., like, well, isn't there like nine to ten thousand breweries now in the United States? And it's、mm-hmm. pretty simple to actually kind of get the ingredients that you want and find the vendors that are out there that, to give you those ingredients. Like, what was it like to getting you know, like the malts and the yeast and the hops and all、it、these was, other? It was very difficult. Okay. <laughs>、um, There's no BSG. There's no Malt Europe. The, you know, nobody's out there saying, "Here, try our new malt." It's is basically, I they have like a like a Amazon out there called Alibaba. You did air quotes Amazon. Yeah, Alibaba. So Alibaba, and、uh, the we could get、uh, grain from Belgium.、Um, I didn't know how old it was, <laughs> and so I got that, and then、um, I would I, I can get to. Dry packets of yeast, but it just oh everything was old or not stored properly, and the hops were crap, and the, the yeast, the everything was terrible. So I was like, well,、um, I would come back here and、uh, stop at Brew Hut and get、uh, a couple <laughs> of vials of you know whatever yeast and put it in my bag and bring it out to China and prop it up and try to make you know our own、um, you know pitches of yeast out there. Um, that was probably the best way to do it because it's just so hard to find ingredients. But the last time I went out there in you know, 2020, I guess before before COVID, I guess、um, they have uh, uh, White Labs is out there in Shanghai, and、uh, um, I think Yakima Yakima Chief and some of these other、uh, big big、uh, places. I saw some of what he's using, like New Hops, like Sabro, and some of these other things.、Oh, I'm like,、wow. damn, dude, how can you get all this stuff? I had nothing when I was starting. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, my even my brew system, man. It was because there's nothing like. Small. They make they make all the brewing equipment in China, but it's all for like you know big systems. So I had only like 300 square feet to work in. So I just had a couple of three three little hot water tanks that I kind of just you know turned into little ghetto、uh, homebrew <laughs> system, and you know just did did my best with what I had, and you know it it, it was it was fine,、um, but、uh, I wanted to do more when I was out there, you know. Um, I wanted to be more experimental and use some of these flavors that I I found out there in some of these beers, and because the palate of the local people wasn't attuned to a lot of these flavors, it was hard to kind of show them something that was different. So、um, I think coming back here was kind of the plan in the beginning, was to showcase what I learned in China, and coming here and showing people. That are willing to try something new and different,、uh, flavor that seems familiar but is, you know, challenges their palate. Right, it's、yeah. got a little twist to it、yeah. versus what you see in most breweries.、Here. Sure. So, do you see like so now you're back in you know Aurora, Colorado, the suburbs of Denver? Are you seeing that people are liking the different, unique flavors that you've come up with, or are they now asking for? Don't you just have an IPA or? <laughs> I think we've developed the reputation so far in our first year of business that when you come into Jade Mountain, you're not going to find something normal, and that may not be a bad thing. 
Um, we do get an occasional person that will walk in and be like, oh, dude, I just want a lager. I'm like, well, I have beers that can appease your palate, you know, snow or rice lager. Yeah. Even even that is different from your normal, like, Tsingtao or Asahi or Sapporo, you know. I treat it like a, like a Czech Pilsner. So with Chinese hops, a little bit hoppier, uh, very crisp and dry. Um, so it's just... Uh, Coming with an open mind is kind of a, of a is a big deal, but I think people here are excited for that, and they really like coming and trying something new, and especially because we rotate our menu so often that every time you come in, you'll be like, oh, there's there's a new beer like this weekend. I got six new beers coming out, so it's uh, and they're all just wild flavors that you've probably never had in a, in a beer. So. Tell us, give us some examples. Tell us some of those wild flavors. Well, this one that you're drinking right here is Robin <laughs> Robin Fury. This was our collab with. Uh, Jagged Mountain for Clapfest on Saturday. And this is, um, it's a rice uh, ale. I call it a lager because I brew them kind of, uh, my lagers a little bit differently. Um, but uh, we do um, Thai chilies and oyster sauce in this one. We also mash in with uh, ramen noodles. So and we saw them, there's <laughs> actual ramen noodles in this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's, it, we're trying to create kind of like a, savory beer I suppose so it uh, has some chili some heat and a little bit of uh, saltiness from the the oyster sauce a little bit of brininess from that as well some sweetness surprisingly mm-hmm. too um, so it's a pretty cool beer um, definitely one of those I'll challenge your palate if you're not used to oh, chilies yeah. in your beer I know a lot of people use green chilies but uh, Thai chilies I really love Thai chilies just because it's it's such a different flavor and aroma. You get heat, but it's not like super lingering, and the aroma doesn't clash with the flavors of the beer. So, um, let's see some of the other ones we're doing. Like the other collab we do with Black Project, that one is a very weird one, even for me. It's, um, it may not seem that weird on paper, but the process of brewing this particular beer, it's a 100% uh, rice beer. So, we brew, brew it with all glutinous rice. And then we inoculate it with red koji rice, which is uh, kind of the, um, it's, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fungi that kind okay. of malts uh, rice. And then this particular blend of koji has uh, yeast and other bacteria in it that'll ferment and sour the spear at the same time. So you create kind of like, I call it a, a sour nagori sake kind of. Wow. So it's not brewed very similar to sake. I mean, the only thing is that it's all rice. Um, but um, it's kind of more like a beer, like a lower alcohol beer, and it's uh, all gluten-free, which is pretty cool. Um, but the way we brew it, I, I steam it in the mash tun. I steam all the rice in the mash tun using my steam condenser to harness the steam power for that. And, uh, and then I pull it all out, cool it down, inoculate it with uh, our koji um, bacteria, koji spores. Um, put it back in the mash tun, fill it up with some cold water to get to our temperature where we need to be, and let it ferment. Wow. And <laughs> that thing takes on my mash tun for a couple of weeks, and then I, uh, <laughs> I uh, pull it out and put it in um, bags and squeeze all of the, press all of the, the juice out of the rice, and then transfer it into our fermenter where it just finishes. Uh, aging and uh, maturing and uh, sometimes finish fermenting as well so that was our first base we did for that and then we went to i brought some of the some of that base to black project and we tasted some barrels and blended them together and found two barrels that were very complementary to these flavors and uh, we did kind of like a 50 50 blend with that and uh, with the, the rice base and his two beers and it came out pretty cool i think so that's pretty amazing because it's like you just said like I don't know ten things that you never do when you're brewing a regular beer. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's, it's like you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. But for this beer, you had to. And it, then... It's it's so strange to do it this way, but it it's it's fun too, and you create something that's uh, totally unique in the profile. I mean, the aroma of that particular beer just smells like sake, and but then it finishes super dry and crisp and it's lower alcohol it's only about i think we got to measure it it's only like 5.5 percent or something like that and uh just a really cool flavor and i love sour beers anyway we do mm-hmm. so many sour beers here so this thing it just 
it is pretty cool. I like it a lot. I would say even if you're just a just a person who doesn't really know a whole hell of a lot about beer, like you're just making it super exciting. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, okay, maybe I do like beer. <laughs> you should just come in here because it just sounds your descriptors are like mouth watering. Yeah, we we do so many. We meet so many people like this who come in and like, well, I don't like beer. And I was like, well, yeah. you came to the right place. I feel, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I say it jokingly, but I, sometimes I feel like we brew beer for people who don't drink beer. Um, it's, and uh, for those that do. And for those that do. So yeah. it's super nerdy. I mean, that Koji beer is like one of the nerdiest things we've ever done. So it's like oh, yeah. uh, it can appease the craft beer nerd, but it can also be approachable to somebody who has never had craft beer in their life. And uh, those flavors, like I like my sours, I model them after like uh, cocktails. So I'm going for like, you know, if I say there's chilies or fruit or whatever else in there, you're gonna taste all those flavors in there. There's there's layers in these beers, and I'm not trying to go for like super sour or super hoppy. I'm trying to go for balance in these weird flavors, and uh, modeling them after like desserts or foods that I've had before, or, you know, just things that I feel like blend well together. And uh, usually it goes over pretty well for people. It's like, wow, I've never had a beer like that. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> this is pretty cool. So, Well, that yeah. would totally appeal to, like, I think a foodie or, like, maybe a lot of wine connoisseurs sure. or things like that. Too. Yeah, people who drink wine or, or um, ciders and, and even seltzers. So, like, our, our, I try to do our version of seltzers. So anything I put on tap, I want it to be on the same level as everything else. So I don't want to brew just a beer just because I have to brew it because someone wants to drink it, you know. Right. Um, I know a lot of people approach um, seltzers that way and uh, sours and even hazy IPAs and all these things. They just brew it because people want it and they don't really want to brew it. But uh, I try to go for every single beer that I put on tap to be um, thoughtfully made. So our seltzers are hard teas. So I thought about... You know, because we're a tea house as well, to incorporating tea into a seltzer base with fruit and embracing color. So we have, I, I do like dragon fruit, which is a, a really cool kind of flavor. So um, yeah, dragon fruit and tea. And this next one I just did, it's mango and jasmine tea, jasmine green tea. That's coming on this Saturday too. So um, we have beer some gluten-free drinkers and people who don't drink beer. And then if you don't, if you just absolutely don't want anything alcoholic, or tea house as well. So I have 20 different kinds of loose leaf teas. So. Yeah, I think kind of to go a step back, I think you you managed to hit both sides of the market really well. Those people who might not necessarily be beer drinkers, um, as well as the, the really hardcore beer geeks who yeah. Oh, yeah. are always out and after the next thing. Um, and I think Ken brought up a good point about you know foodies and people who are into wine. Um, I, I think the, the big appeal for me for what you do is is having that viewpoint and that that familiarity with some of these flavors where it's not as fun as it is to to be a brewery that takes what wacky ingredients can we throw together to make a beer i i like that it's a very measured considered viewpoint um with regard to flavor and how things are going to interact and what the final experience is going to be um for example you guys did like an orange chicken beer um that is still one of my favorite things you did and I, you know, I've had a lot of beers and I like a lot of weird things and I love sour beers. And I heard that and I was like, I, I can't wait to try this. And I have no <laughs> idea what to expect. Um, but it was that interplay of like, at first I was like, oh, this is kind of like a mimosa. And then it was like, no, but it's, it's orange chicken. It's got that savory kind of umami thing through the middle and like the spice comes out. And I think that viewpoint is, is very cool and it shows through a lot of what you do. Um, but I think there's something here for everybody, which is is super cool. And I think whether you're, you know, really really into beer or not really into beer, I think I think there's some some interesting things that you guys do. So, um, since well, uh, you know we, we are here on behalf of Malt Europe as well too, and like you just started like using Malt Europe, yes, is I that did. correct? Yes, I did. What, so like because we got a little bit further into the ingredients when you're in China and getting into the ingredients here, so like I mean, might as well talk a little bit about malt. Right. What, yes. Like, what's the how, how does actually does the malts impact your unique beers and things like that too? So, malts. You know, when I first started, I, I, I really, you know, malts important, but it's for me, it's almost um, 
I'm trying to find something that complements all the flavors and has a good base for what I'm gonna put on top of it. Because, you know, if I'm just brewing a, 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 a lager or a pills or something that's just malt forward, then I like using something that can complement that, that, that really represents that. Um, but uh, yeah, we just recently switched over to, to malt Europe and we're using uh, in our pastry wheats uh, Panda, we started using their uh, crystal wheat, um, which is a really cool um, ingredient. So I was trying to co go for um, using less lactose in this particular beer and trying to create some residual malt sweetness without like that cloying uh, normal crystal um, malt flavor, yeah, which, I, which I don't like. I, yeah, I don't use any crystal malts at all in really any of my beers. Um, so this was kind of a unique kind of take on crystal crystal malts and uh, and the crystal wheat so I think it complemented pretty well and um, we got great efficiency on it almost higher than I usually do so it's usually a five percent beer and it came out six a little over six so um, it, uh, it went really well for our first for our first uh, use of it so I, I think through our discussions a lot of it's just been is how do we um, you know how do we support what you want to do and how do we Exactly to your point. How do we not clash with what you're after, but support it? How do we help emphasize the the parts of the beers that you want to emphasize? And, and I think there's a lot of opportunities to do that. But you know, everybody's a little different, and and that's part of the fun is coming up on on the ingredient side and on the process side. With how do we how do we help you make interesting beers like that? You know, how do how do we help you use a whole bunch of rice? You know, do we pull out something out of the toolkit that maybe we normally wouldn't? Do we have you? Use some distiller's malt to get more enzymes, so you can chew through an interesting fermentable. You know, there's there's a lot of different ways to go that I think a lot of times people don't think about, but it's super fun to explore it here. Yeah, I'm very experimental, so anything that comes out that's new or special or weird, I'm like, hey, let's try that. Well, so speaking of all that and innovative and uniqueness and all that, where is like your future heading? What do you where do you see well, Jake Mountain going? Um, so we're a brewery and a tea house. I think. This past year it's been a little bit more beer so this next year I'm focusing a little bit more on tea I think I'm trying to push more of our um, non-alcoholic teas uh, canned teas um, flavored um, natural tea, loose leaf teas and natural ingredients uh, lightly carbonated those kind of things teas on tap we're working with so I'm trying to get into a few other breweries that um, have kombucha on tap and try to replace that because I don't like kombucha <laughs> <laughs> or at least put it next to it so, yeah, so people sure. can go oh wait yeah, so, and, <laughs> something better and like even going to like you know stores and stuff I mean tea what people think of tea they think of like sweet tea and mm -hmm. it's like it's so cloyingly sweet and it's just I, I can't drink that stuff it's just it's just not good so going for you know flavorful something flavorful but also a little bit healthier for you you know um so that's one thing we're focusing on a little bit more, incorporating tea into our beers um, with different uh, blends of tea and uh, um, making my own blends with um, different kind of flavors and, and stuff like that. So uh, that's pretty cool. But I'm also kind of trying to hone in all of our flavors because we spent a year kind of just brewing all kinds of random stuff. I had like almost 70 beers this year. So um, This year? This year. It's... Like, you know, by the time this well, comes out, I mean, in the first year, in the first year, since May, so we have like, damn, we've been busy. <laughs> yeah, they're not even quite yeah, to first anniversary yeah, yet. Yeah, we're not even first Almost. anniversary yet. So we'll get close to um, 80 or 90 beers before our first yeah. year. And um, they're all different, they're all unique. Now, there's only a couple that we try to keep on more often, but it's just, I use this time to kind of see which beers are standing out, which ones I think that. Um, people like but then of course like any business you know you think something's going to do well and it doesn't and you think something that, that's going to do terrible does awesome so it's like <laughs> yeah. that's kind of where our pastry wheats came from you know it's like <laughs> it, it was something that i was like well i was brewing wheat beer and i was like oh i put too much uh, coconut and too much lactose in this beer let's it tastes like a dessert and i was like well that's kind of what people want i feel you know like you have pastry stouts which is dark and malty sometimes bitter you got the the milkshake IPAs, which is kind of bitter um, sometimes, I guess. And then you got the sours, you know, smoothie sours. So I'm kind of like going, skipping all the kind of flavors that people don't, sometimes some people don't want. And just going for just sweet, <laughs> 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 just dessert in a glass. And it's just like, 
honestly, I, I hate I hate these beers, but uh, it's <laughs> it's just you know something that sells, and it's it's there there. I can understand the the I guess the allure behind them. I guess like Panda, it's green. It's not yeah. it's not dyed green. It's just because we use um, pandan vanilla leaves, so it's like Asian vanilla that actually turns everything green. So I try to model them after like desserts. So it's kind of like a Filipino or Vietnamese dessert with pandan and uh, coconut. So just putting that in a glass and it's green and it kind of matches with, with uh, St. Patrick's Day and stuff. So and just <laughs> really kind of going for that kind of shock value and people are like, oh my God, what do, what do you put in this glass? That's insane. And I, I love that. I love, you know, people looking at these beers and then tasting them. It's like, oh, I've never had anything like this before. But it's in a format where they can understand, which is, you know, beer, which is pretty cool. This is backing up like a lot, but I still want to know. So we were talking about like the we were just talking about the future of Jay Mountain, yeah. and you were talking about the last time when you went back to China with some supplies from here mm-hmm. that like you could already see like the future of craft beer changing a little bit there. It's, Do you think it's going to keep going? And I mean, you'll see a few more craft breweries opening up. Or? There's a lot of craft beer um, growing now out there in China, but it's so different than it is here. So like big guys like AB and Bev, they see it. So a couple of my buddies, they just got their brewery bought by AB and Bev in mm-hmm. Shanghai. So mm-hmm. they're, they're going out there and buying all these small little breweries that developed a small little foothold and they go buy them for pennies. And uh, they're kind of taking hold of that craft beer because nobody out there understands what craft means. Right. They don't understand it needs to be, you know, small, independent, you know, all that, but they just want something that's just cheap or whatever. So they're kind of leveraging their bulk of money to kind of you know take over craft beer in China but there are some small guys out there that are doing some cool stuff you know I got some buddies out there that are um, you know still kind of pushing the envelope for China um, kind of showing showcasing you know a lot of hazy IPAs and some sours and things like that but it still you know has a lot of room to grow mm-hmm. I think there's you know when I was there I think there was maybe 50 breweries in the entire country wow and uh, now there's probably maybe two, three hundred. So it's 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 growing, and it's uh, but you know Chinese government is very hard to work with, especially for foreign-owned companies. So, but honestly, the the most exciting beers that are being done are being done by local Chinese people are, who are having have a completely different um, perspective on beer because they've never grown up with you know German beers or you know traditional like IPAs or whatever they just getting stuff secondhand you know from you know I tried this beer that my buddy mailed me from Treehouse or Worldworks or whatever and now we're going to try to brew something like that and uh, it's it's pretty cool to see kind of how that's going we'll see how it goes in the future as a traveler I would rather go to a place and try something that locals are doing instead of going to a place that American opened up to like brew the American beer there. Like I have plenty of those in America. Absolutely, and that's there's there's a lot of that there, you know, and uh, it's pretty cool to see. And there's so many ingredients that you can't even get here that I wish I can get here to use in these beers. And um, but uh, so now you have to do the opposite thing: go there and get bring ingredients to fly yeah. back here. So that that's what I was doing the past few years, but COVID's kind of messed all of that up. So I have no idea when we'll be able to go back. So China's banned every foreigner from going out to China right now. So you can. Um, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty hard. So. so you can't go back right now, but your wife, I believe you said, you've told me before, was is a Chinese citizen, right? Yeah. But is she is she able to go back to China? Yeah, she can go back. Yeah. Okay. The Chinese nationals can go back to China. But, but she, she couldn't bring you with her if, if um, being I don't married? Think so, because I still have a, a, a visa to go out there, but they don't recognize that. And then mm-hmm. if you, I think if you, there are some loops you can jump through, okay. um, but it's... Uh, Pretty difficult, and then you go out there and you got to quarantine for like a month or more. Oh, so, and then you got to—it's—it's it's kind of a whole mess. There's you can get out there, but you can't go do anything. Like right now, there's a lockdown right there. They lock down yeah, everything out true. there. So it's even if you're there, you got to stay stay on stay inside your yeah. hotel or yeah. whatever. So probably yeah. also not beneficial for the owner of a brewery that's only a year old to yeah. skip out for two or three four months I mean, <laughs> go get ingredients <laughs> i love traveling I, that's that's my passion so it's been hard not being able to travel like that but uh, in the future we'll be able to do something more 
So well, South of Shad, I want you here too to brew all these beers. Here. Oh yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> so you can bring the world to us. Sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's something where even though we started in China, I really try to incorporate um, all Asian cultures into the beers we're doing because you know we came to Aurora and Aurora is very very diverse. You know we got uh, uh, Korean and Vietnamese and Thai and uh, all kinds of flavors that I'm trying to incorporate into these beers to try to. Um, give everybody a kind of a taste of home so you know um, it's pretty cool to see people from all, all cultures come in here and, mm -hmm. and see something that they might recognize from you know their youth or something like that the flavor profiles what's funny is that kind of um, harkens back to the early days of brewing in the United States like because mm -hmm. there were all yeah. these people from different countries that would come here like at the turn of the century the 18th into the 1900s yeah. um, that would come here to work like especially with the mining and all that kind of thing and they all wanted that that their Taste beer that they had at home and they so you would have tons of little breweries all over the place but they were basically just a little you know mom and pop place brewing their own beer for the for the people that came with them from their country sure. so they'd have that taste of home and it's a very similar thing what you're doing here yeah it's, it's really cool because i mean there's very honestly there's very little diversity in beer and yeah. it's it's sometimes it's hard to you know find something that you can you know that makes sense to to you i mean i mean craft loggers and those kind of things and, and german pilsners and czech loggers and all these that that that's a lot of the european kind of tradition which is great i love those beers um but trying to figure out what kind of flavors can kind of bring people from other cultures into that kind of whole realm of craft beer and stuff and I think um, sour beers is, a, is, a, is one of the bases. I feel like it, it's a really cool um, base for all these kind of flavors like that. And it makes sense um, in Asia particularly. Um, like these pastry wheats have been extremely popular here because it's just desserts and kind of reminds you of kind of what, um, what you used to eat when you were a kid, you know, and it's kind of... Kind of the cool flavors that one, like durian, which we did durian here not long ago. <laughs> Dustin's like, oh no! <laughs> you have to drink that in a separate room. <laughs> not allowed to open the cans inside. It, it was surprisingly popular, honestly. You know, I had people coming from all over the U.S. just to come and try that beer, just because nobody's ever had a, a durian beer. But they put durian in everything, like pizza and desserts and cakes and everything out there, and it's. Very pungent. Durian <laughs> is that, that, that bad fruit smelling like fruit, correct? Yes, or it's the king of fruit. The king of fruit. And it's banned on airplanes and public transportations all over Asia. <laughs> some people like the king, some people hate the king. <laughs> it's I, true. I it's remember true. being in Kuala Lumpur and my hotel had a giant sign out front that said no durian and a picture <laughs> of it with the big red cross through it that was, you cannot bring this in the hotel. Yeah, it's it's one of those it's, smells. It's polarizing. Oh, it, it very it, yes, sounds it like is. marmite. <laughs> Marmite's very polarizing too. Time, times like ten. Times ten. Oh boy. Yeah. But it Woo. definitely was. Some people loved it, and some people were like, "Oh my god, I don't." But then I I, I had it, everybody try it that was curious about it because they're like, "Hey, you know what? It's still a fruit. You know, it's still pretty cool. I mean, you got flavors of like pineapple and kind of mangoish, and then it has kind of like a custardy kind of uh, uh, texture." Um, I don't know, I kind of, and I paired it with vanilla to kind of cut cut through a little bit of that uh, um, flavor to make it a little bit smoother, and it just really was, uh, the aroma was a little funky, but the flavor was awesome. But I felt like the sour beer is probably really the only only base that a, a Styrian beer can actually shine through in, I think, um, just because it's, uh, I mean, a lot of sour beers are kind of funky anyway, so, yeah. right. you know, so it worked out, I think. That's pretty cool. The, the smell is definitely... The worst part. Yeah. <laughs> the, taste, the taste is less polarizing. Yeah. The smell is the hard part. I, just, I think it's really cool that you can simultaneously be a taste of home for some people and the, kind of give some people the ability to travel where they normally wouldn't you know, have that right now. Yeah. So, so for people who can't go home or people who can't get away from home and go explore, it's kind of an opportunity to get a little insight into to both of that. And, sure. And, to either have some fond memories or to make some new ones. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, and I just wanted to touch on the diversity part because it's, 
it's true. I mean, there's there's a huge world out there, and beer right now, at least in the U.S. and, and a lot of places around the world, is very focused on a couple selected areas of the world. And there's so many other viewpoints and so many other amazing things out there. It's cool to see more and more of that getting incorporated, yeah. um, especially as people get as our our palates become more developed and people get more invested into craft beer as a culture. Um, to see that spreading out and, and propagating itself to, to other people and other communities um, is really, really cool. Great. Yeah, absolutely. So our our tagline for Jade Mountain is blending culture. So it's kind of a, a play on, you know, beer brewing because blending, you know, blending beer together, which we do quite a bit, and then culture with, uh, um, like, bacterial cultures and sour cultures and stuff, yeast cultures, and then, you know, kind of blending all that together and creating something that's completely new and unique and delicious and amazing. So. I like that. That's a good one to cheers in. Yeah. To blending cultures. So yeah. yeah. Cheers to blending cheers cultures. cultures. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Blending culture. Like, I love that whole tagline. It kind of really goes along with what we've always said about, you know, going up to a bar and saying hi to a stranger, and that's what you're doing. So, and although his play on words with it, where he was talking about how he's blending beers and the fermenting and all that and how you're blending yeah. the culture, like yeast, too, so it's really cool. But I was also um, kind of really stuck on his um, description of how the general kind of uh, person in China drinks beer because beer is more like a hydration thing when you drink water. And no, that is funny. His story about the guys going up to the bar and ordering like three of their biggest beers and they're going to like slam, you know, all at one time and slam them because they're not used to the high ABV beers there. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine like us going up to, I don't know, just a brewery anywhere and seeing that they have like a 12%, you know, beer on tap and you're thinking it's more like a hydration thing and you just drank a whole hell of a lot of alcohol partying and now it's time to chill out and cool <laughs> down and you go up and can I have three of those beers for me now oh my god it'd be so sick you would really learn to hate beer well and I would think that's probably just a a point of somebody not even not even looking at the ABV because they it's well, not why, been a consideration before yeah so why would you because you're usually you're used to all these you know light lagers and stuff that that's that's like the most common beer in the entire world, you know, like 90% of the beer in the world, I think is like a light lager or yeah. something that sells. That's why all these big companies are big companies. And those are all pretty lightweight beers. Yeah. <laughs> and you even can have a few. though the higher ABV beers have been around for really a long time, mm-hmm. it's just taken time to get that kind of more into the mainstream. So still when people, you know, go out to a brewery or a bar or whatever, when they order a beer, they're expecting a lighter beer like a a lighter kind of drink they're not expecting something that is like a sipping kind of drink like a bourbon flavored thing that has 15 percent even 10 percent even eight percent yeah not the just average person beer drinker person i mean this yeah i mean we obviously as craft beer drinkers are getting a lot more educated and just have a much more familiarity with all the different kinds of what things of what beer can be and how big it can be and how boozy it can be and how funky yeah. it can be. But, but the typical, you know, person who's used to a Bud Light or something, if that's their go-to beer and they don't, they never drink craft beer. It's not, not really been on their radar. You're not going to, it's just like me going somewhere and that has a lot of sake and, I'm sure there's a lot of variety to sake that I have no clue because I haven't drank much of it ever. I mean, I have had a few sips in my life, you know, and that's, I've never made a point of going after it and learning about it. So I suppose on that note, don't be too judgy when someone does that because you don't know where they're from or what their experience is. Speaking of too, it made me think of a story. Do you remember? You weren't with me, but I told you the story when I went to the star bar for the first time. Oh yeah. So the star bar is this like dive bar that for some reason has gained this kind of cult following. It's downtown, near downtown Denver, just outside of kind of mm-hmm. downtown Denver area. But the, it was like maybe seven, eight years ago, the first time I walked into the Star Bar. But they had this, um, like this high ABV beer. It was probably only like a 11% too. Maybe not even, no, I'm just saying it was something like that, which at that time to me 
was like, whoa, what is this? And it's like, I don't remember exactly what the beer was, but it was probably barrel aged and, uh, you know, 10 or 11%. And it only came in like a four ounce pour. And I was like, I want some beer. So I went up and I'm like, I don't, told the bartender too. I was like, I don't want just a four ounce pour of beer. Like, can I have two of them? And at that time, he would not sell me two of them, which think about it. Nowadays, you can walk into a brewery for the most part. And if it's a 10% beer, 11% beer, even a 12, 13% beer, you're going to get like an eight to 10 ounce pour of it. Yeah, probably but he, so. he did not. He was like, nope, we only sell them in four ounce pours. And I was like, fine. So I had one of that one and one of another one because they had a couple of them on tap. Mm. And it was the first time that I had had like a big beer. And it was just like, whoa, <laughs> no wonder they're only selling these in these little pours. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I, mean, I didn't know at the time. It's crazy, too, though, because in traveling around, you know, we've gone to a lot of different breweries all over the country. And I've come across not a lot, but just a couple where I've seen like 10% plus beers being full, poured as full pints. And I'm like, whoa. So I'm like, that just blows me away because I am, I'm used to a brewery definitely scaling down the size of the, and it's not a cheapy thing. It's not just because the beer is more expensive to make. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but it's really kind of a, for lack of a better term, crowd control measure. <laughs> it's kind of a save you from yourself a little bit because it's really, e some of these are really easy drinking. Like, like we've talked before about Burns Family Ales in Denver, and they make some really high stuff, like 16, 18% beers. But when you're sipping on it, it doesn't feel like you're not sipping it going, oh, this tastes like a, like a whiskey or something. You don't, you, you know, that you, you feel the alcohol burn and you're gonna, and you're gonna slow down if you're drinking a bourbon straight or something. But in this beer that, that they make at Burns is, uh a lot of it is very smooth and you could That's easily cool. drink a pint or something and get just hammered. Well, you don't realize until you stand up either. And that's what he was talking mm -hmm. to. That's Sean's story was really interesting too. Cause they just drink it and just, you know, chug it after three of those beers. And then you stand up and they're like, Whoa. what is this? What just happened to me? Didn't I just drink beer? Uh, yeah. Big beers. That's the weird thing for me too, is like, I do like a good bourbon and stuff like that, but I feel like when I drink big beers, it affects me differently. The, the, like if I have something that's 12, 13, 14%, I'll drink it. I'll finish it. I'll take my time, drink it slow. And then I'm like, Oh, feel good. And then 20 minutes later is when I start feeling that, Whoa, that was a big beer. <laughs> And I don't feel that way off of like bourbon and stuff. It doesn't hit and me the same way. I don't know why, but and within those twenty minutes, you've just had another one of those big beers. That's Hopefully not. Why. Hopefully not. Usually, I'm pretty good at not doubling down on big beers. I can tell you when our tra in our travels when we're traveling from one place to another, and we were like, "Ooh, what breweries are in this little town?" And we stopped to have a beer in the middle of the day and maybe some food or something because we want to check it out. If I have like a big beer in the middle of the day, that day drinking thing, that's it. I can only have one. That's okay. My day is done. I'm useless. I don't know what it is. So I agree. Like it's probably, it's not that I'm useless. It's just that I'm like, life is good. I don't want to work right now. Let's go play. That's the reason a lot of people got into that habit for decades, probably centuries of having like, a sip at night you know like especially you would you'd see all the you know watching them and probably people have lots of examples of their own family or themselves that like at night later after dinner and you're sitting down maybe watching tv or listening to some music or something reading even and you just have a, a little an ounce or two of some whisk good yeah. whiskey or something or a scotch or something to sip on even a glass of wine whatever and it just it relaxes you and you mellow out and sleep a little bit better usually unless you overdo it hence then why, you do not sleep well at all hence day drinking most times no bueno because you're just like eh, i'm good and no work gets done well if you if you have a little nappy time available okay nappy time I'll do that. <laughs> then you could do that and recover for the evening well on that note should we say cheers to nappy time we probably it's time should. to let you go 
We oh, probably should let you go. But we can't let you go until mentioning the thing that we mention every single podcast. I would like to say one real quick. Don't forget oh, about Camp Carpe Diem coming that's, up in Asheville. That's what I was talking about. Oh. The thing that we mention in every single podcast. Every single podcast. com. Camp Carpe Diem happening October 20th through the 23rd in Asheville, North Carolina and Brevard, North Carolina. Come play with us and have some fun. And we're going to explore some great beer, mountain biking, hiking, photography, Community. And a lot of cool campfire stuff, so, yeah. It's the coolest adult camp ever. Prices go up April. No, prices go up May 1st. Get the best deal now, because then you get to hang out with the cool kids. Us. <laughs> and with Kay. that, we're going to let you go, but please don't forget to subscribe and or follow or whatever they call it now and share the podcast with your friends. That would be great if you would tell your friends about it and... If you feel so inclined, buy us a beer on our uh, livingastoutlife.com slash podcast page. And we'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Uh, Cheers. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.